Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode 52 and I am Brooke McCallery. Very, very happy that you are here with me. Thank you. You're welcome. Also you. <laughs> and you, and you, and, and you, you, and you. you. How are you going? Good. 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 But uh, this is a really, really timely episode, It I think, really is. For us. Yes. This is um, for a whole heap of reasons. But today I talk with Scott Eblen who is a business coach, but a business coach who specifically works with people to embrace the, what he calls the mindfulness alternative. So he works with a bit of background first. I've had quite a few emails um, over the past six months or so from people who work busy jobs. Like they work, uh, I can remember one specific instance of a woman who was a, um, like she was a professional, you know, a lawyer, a doctor or something like that. And loved her work, mm-hmm. also had a family, um, also had other commitments outside of work, but worked a really busy, full day. Um, and it was after one of my earlier episodes, and I know a guest of mine had said, you know, if people are too busy at work, if they feel overworked, if they feel overwhelmed, they just need to work less hours. She's like, that's that's great advice, but doesn't apply to me. And I got a handful of emails similar to that which really got me thinking about it, which is it's absolutely true. I mean, for some people, yes, the advice to slow down, drop a day, maybe look for a different career is a good is good advice, but for a whole heap of people it's not. So I went on a search for a guest who would be able to talk about this. You know, and and Scott is perfect. I actually stumbled across his book in the library, the local library, and uh, knew that he was the guy that I wanted to talk to. So he and I sat down and we spoke about busyness and uh, particularly in the workplace, but I feel like the conversation is really that's applicable much, much to- Much more than that, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's sort of, that was my goal in the beginning, but after I started speaking with him, he's got such an amazing story to, to share. Yeah, he says that during it, he's an A-type as well that was just full-on busy and the things that he's done- uh, because of a life change that and has now brought him to where he is now. He's, he's had like a, a whole career change. Oh, more than that, like a life change. It's, yeah, well, that exa- yeah, exactly. Yeah, he taught, I and mean, he goes into that in our interview, so I don't want to kind of That's take it. away from it. I was but, going to. Yeah. I was very mindful <laughs> not oh, to spoil the interview. Look at you, look at you with your mindfulness. Um, but it was such... Put it this way, we started the 30-day yoga with adrian does that that's our challenge or our, our, our experiment, experiment for this month of march and this interview couldn't have come at a better time no that's right yeah scott's a he's a cool guy and i really really enjoyed talking to him it's one of my top three podcasts that you've done okay podcasts can i ask what the other two are uh you could <laughs> whether you get a response <laughs> or not no i think Top three, Gretchen Rubin mm-hmm. is one, and I'm going to shout out to Joel. Joel, Joel Slovsky. Yeah. I Good think, job, Getty. Well, I think that they, they spoke to me the yes. most. This one, Joel's and Gretchen's sort of I, – I, the, the messages in them I still – I'm still thinking yeah. about. Let's put it that, so it's stuck with me. And they tap into you, like your personality That's as it. well. That's yeah. it. No, I really loved this episode. I found when kind of 45 minutes were up, 
I um I had a heap more notes that I wanted to kind of pursue, but yeah. maybe we'll talk to him again one day. But I would absolutely recommend that you go and check out his website, which is eblingroup.com. And Scott also has a blog there that he writes at quite um, regularly. He has written a, a number of books. The one that I found on the shelf of the, uh, the local library is called Overworked and Overwhelmed, The Mindfulness Alternative. So um, I would really highly recommend that you, you check that out. He also discussed with you podcasting off, offline. So he did. I wonder whether he'll do I don't know. He was he was curious. I mean, a lot of a lot of my guests are curious about podcasting because I think people are they enjoy being able to connect with people while they're long form conversation. Exactly. You know, if they're on the the bus or the train or whatever. That's why this is so important. Podcast is because it gets people to have long form long form communication, and it suits perfectly. Okay. Being mindful. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, no, I do. Um, look, I do. Like, I'm the biggest podcast convert you could find. Yeah. Um, but this this conversation was it's well suited to sit down and you know talk about zen out. Yeah, I just zen out. My brain just zen out. Yeah, happens to me all the time. <laughs> so before we get into it, though, this episode is sponsored by Audible. Our friends at Audible. Um, if you would like to get yourself a free Audible trial, 30-day trial and a free audiobook, you can head to audibletrial.com forward slash slow and you can pick up uh, um, maybe an e-course, um, an audio course, audio e-course, let's say. All right. Uh, there is actually the great courses now have their content up on Audible. There's one that... Is that like a series of lectures or something? Yes. Mm. Good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's one that you might be interested in if you if you uh, okay. are looking right. to uh, sign up uh, to Audible, the Science of Mindfulness, a research based path to well being, and um, that's that's read by Professor Ron Siegel, and it looks at the the science behind mindfulness, which I know would interest you with your questioning yeah, brain. It would. It would. Check that out. You should check that out at audible.com. You no, should audibletrial.com forward slash slow. slow. And you also should check out slowyourhome.com forward slash 52 for the show notes to this podcast. There is a lot of I, there's a lot of stuff mentioned, I think, in this. Yeah, Scott, Scott talks about a lot of books, books and authors and, and resources. Stuff that he's done, stuff that other people have done. Yeah, particularly his Life GPS yep. book and program All and stuff like that. Stuff. So you can find links to all of that at yep, slowyourhome.com forward slash 52. All right. All right. On with the show. All right. I'm doing terrific, Brooke. How are you? I'm really, really well. Very excited to be speaking with you. Likewise. Thank you. Um, now, before I, I dive right into it, um, first of all, I just want to say how much I'm looking forward to talking to you about the mindfulness alternative, particularly in corporate culture. Um, you know, it's something that I'm asked about a lot by people who have found that the advice from other slow living experts might not be particularly fitting to those who 
have very demanding jobs. Um, but before I get into that, I just want to ask you personally, have you always been interested in mindfulness or was there a moment for you or a catalyst in your past that made you stop and, and change? Sure. So I've been a dabbler uh, in mindfulness for a long time. Uh, I guess maybe going back to the 1990s, um, someone introduced me to a wonderful book by John Kabat-Zinn called Wherever You Go, There You Are. And it's still one of my favorite books ever. And that book, um, which I highly recommend everybody listening, that book was my morning reading book uh, back in the 90s for well over a year because it's it's organized in little two to four page essays almost and they're just very thought provoking and and so that was really kind of my first introduction to mindfulness and then from there I started reading a lot of other uh, authors and, and thinkers on the topic like Jack Kornfield and uh, Lama Suri Das and others and so the thing is, I was reading a lot, but I really didn't – I wasn't very consistent, <laughs> you know, and in, in, in how it showed up in my life. And um, so that, you know, I was a dabbler until uh, the end of 2010, and uh, I'd had some, some health challenges arise uh, in 2009 that eventually led to me – and we can talk about that as much as you like if you're interested, but it eventually led to me um, uh, being involved in yoga in a, in a really uh, consistent and intentional way. And I was really doing it for health reasons uh, to manage. Uh, I have multiple sclerosis is what I learned in 2009 and um, was really on a downhill slide uh, uh between the summer of 2009 and the, and the fall of 2010 and had had some uh, really uh, scary and probably life-threatening experiences with some of the big MS, one of the big MS drugs. Uh, and, you know, that doesn't, that's not the case with everybody that takes those drugs, but I didn't react well to it. I, I almost had liver failure and um, it was just a, you know, rough go. And a friend of my wife, who is a holistic health expert and is also a yoga instructor had said to her that Scott should do yoga. And I said, well, because she'd had really good outcomes with, um, patients, uh, you know, with autoimmune and neurological issues like Parkinson's or MS, uh, and yoga was very beneficial for them. And I thought, well, that sounds really interesting, but, um, I can hardly stand up some days. So how am I going to do yoga? Um, but I went, and um, it was a hot yoga class even because that was the one that was oh, close, wow. <laughs> closest to our house. And so I was really, really nervous, you know. And, and that first night there, um, I pulled the teacher aside because I didn't tell anybody back then that I had MS. I was really trying to keep it on the down low because, uh, you know, we had a, a pretty robust business that we were running, you know, doing executive coaching. And I was doing a lot of speaking and we were trying to schedule around predicting when I was going to feel bad, which is a loser's game, you know, with MS, because you can't really predict that. Um, but anyway, I said to the teacher, I said, um, this isn't going to go well. You need to watch me. Said, I, I have MS. Like, don't tell anybody, but I have MS. And 
And she uh, said, listen, we have people like you here fairly frequently, you know, with different conditions. And here's the deal I'll make you. Um, if you come here three days a week, it'll change your body. And if you come here more than three days a week, it'll change your life. And so I started going more than three days a week. And she was right. It changed my body. It started changing my body within a couple of weeks. Um, and then over time, I just could feel changes in other ways, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I started to learn more and more about what, why it was having that effect on me. Uh, you know, I, I went deeper on that and, uh, then I started paying more attention to meditation, uh, which we can talk about. I don't want to monopolize the conversation here, but I, uh, there's a lot, uh, of research out now about, how how mindfulness meditation has a positive impact on your genetic expression. Mm. And I heard that and I thought, holy crap, you know, if, if I have MS, why would I not meditate every single day? And that's when I really, really got serious, you know, was at that. I mean, the yoga was the first part. Learning about the meditation was the second. And the more I read about what you have to do to care for yourself with an autoimmune issue, uh, diet became very, uh, you know, a very big issue as well. And, and, you know, kind of an opportunity area. So, you know, those three things together, I guess, are are kind of my mindfulness practice personally. And then there's a lot that I've learned about the overall process that I'm trying to share with my corporate clients, you know, like always joke, uh, if you don't have a chronic illness, I'm not suggesting you, you go out and contract one. (laughs) (laughs) But but what if, but what if you lived your life as if you already had one? You would you would probably do it differently. And so why wait? You know why why not make some changes now that uh, will not just improve your professional performance, but also help you live longer and and healthier and happier in the meantime. Wait, so there's so much that I want to dig into um, in in that answer. And I was reading uh, your book, Overworked and Overwhelmed, where you actually speak about that that period of your life where you were diagnosed with MS and, you know, the challenges that came with that. And that was incredibly kind of, you know, brave and open and vulnerable and honest of you to share that in your book. But, um, before, when you were, when you were dabbling, as you say, did mindfulness play a part in the way that you were working? I mean, I know that you, you previously had very, uh, demanding jobs and then you, uh, started running your own business, mm. your corporate coaching um, business. Were you applying kind of mindfulness to the way that you worked, or was that sort of something that you put in a separate box in your mind? And you, you know, you had mm. your mindfulness practice, and then you worked like crazy, you know, in your in your job. Yeah, I think that's probably it. Really, I mean, I, I wanted it to affect the way I worked and the way I lived, um, but I. It was, you know, it was maybe, you know, a, a, a 10 minute morning meditation here or there, you know, no consistency to it, or it was maybe journaling, uh, which I think can also be a mindfulness practice. It, maybe it was journaling, uh, you know, two or three days a week and then skipping three or four weeks or three or four months, you know, before I came back to it. I just didn't have any consistency with it really. And, um, so, and I was frustrated, you know, I, um, by that. And I think a lot of, uh, you know, my aspirations, uh, exceeded my actions, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, um, 
I just couldn't figure out really how to access it day to day for a long time. And the yoga was kind of the turning point for me um, because I felt so noticeably different, you know, after a yoga class. And so it really piqued my curiosity, you know, like what's going on there. And, you know, I started reading more and more and what I've concluded um, based on, you know, the research and the reading that I've done and, and the conversations that I've been fortunate enough to have with people who know way more than me. Um, you know, if you feel overworked and overwhelmed, which I regularly did uh, in my corporate career and in the, in the early and even through the middle year, we've been in business now for 15 years, even through the, you know, the first, 75%, I guess, of those years in business, I would regularly feel overworked and overwhelmed. And then the yoga started to change that. And so why did it change that? And I, and I think here's the theory I've come up with is if you're feeling overworked and overwhelmed, you're most likely in a chronic state of fight or flight. You know, your body's sympathetic nervous system is working overtime and, all the systems in your body that either elevate or de-elevate in acute fight or flight to protect you from a physical threat, when they're left in the on or the off position, as the case may be, in chronic fight or flight, it has a terrible impact on your overall health and well-being, and it has a really uh, negative impact on your professional performance in terms of your anxiety and irritability and skittishness, and just you're just kind of you know always on and always jacked. So everybody's heard of fight or flight. What I've learned in speaking about this with people over the last couple of years is about 2%. And that's really the number if I'm like talking to a room full of 100 people. Uh, when I ask the question, how many of you have heard of rest and digest, two of them are going to raise their hands usually, like two or three people. And rest and digest is the nickname for your body's parasympathetic nervous system. And I think the reason yoga works is because it's in, in meditation when you know how to do it works or deep breathing when you know how to do it works is all of those routines uh, activate your parasympathetic nervous system. They activate the rest and digest response. And a lot of mindfulness routines, most of them really do that. You know, all these traditions from thousands of years back, what most of them have in common is they activate the parasympathetic response. And that's probably what I didn't understand. Uh, not probably. I didn't even know about that, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, you know, uh, until three or four years ago. And I think it's the difference maker for me. You know, it's just I just have to activate my parasympathetic response, and I've learned more and more ways to do that. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, I often talk to people, and it's so fascinating to me to dig into why the change happened when it did, you know, and what the difference maker was. And I think there's a lot in what you just said about actually understanding why, you know, why it is that, that this is working and figuring out the reasons for it and making it not just an additional item on our to-do list, you know, must do mindfulness for 10 minutes, but actually incorporate it into our day as a vital part of, you know, balancing out that stress and that fight or flight of setting that we so so many of us feel like we're in constantly yeah yeah there's a, a great analogy that i think it's a kind of a visual metaphor um the first place i read it was 
from Rick Hansen, who's terrific and has written a lot of great books. Buddha's Brain is one of my favorites from him. And he's a psych- psychologist who's very much into the neuro- the neurobiology aspects of mindfulness and like, you know what's going on in your brain and your body when you meditate or do yoga or whatever. And his nickname for fight and flight and rest and digest, or the way he describes it, is fight or flight is your body's gas pedal. And rest and digest is the brakes, mm. and and just like you'd never drive a car and only use the gas. I mean, that would be like a recipe for disaster. It's the same thing with your body. You know that we need the rest, the gas pedal, and the brakes working in concert with each other. Scientists call it homeostasis. You know, kind of this state of of, of balance or equilibrium between the two responses, sympathetic and parasympathetic, and. The, the really good thing is, or the big opportunity, I guess, is uh, we have opportunities. It doesn't take, first of all, it doesn't take that much to activate the rest and digest response. You, could, you can do it with as little as three deep breaths from your belly if you know how to breathe the right way. Um, and you really should be, you know, your rest and digest response should be active all day long, not dominant necessarily but just at least as active as the fight or flight response right Mm. um and i people i'm working with find that really encouraging right because it's actually a whole lot simpler than they ever thought it was um and they make it hung up on the word mindfulness you're like oh my gosh that sounds you know i'm like not a buddhist monk or whatever yeah you don't have to be you know what are the things that are relatively easy for you to do that would likely make a difference and how you're feeling and how you're showing up, you know, and if, if we think of easy to do on a vertical axis and likely to make a difference on a horizontal, let's work in the upper right-hand corner of the graph. What are the things that are relatively easy to do and likely to make a difference for you in showing up less overworked and overwhelmed, right? Mm. Yeah, and uh, you're absolutely right, and that's what I've discovered, that it's not um, yeah, people do get put off by the, the label of mindfulness because that sounds like it's a big thing and, you know, you need to really have a, a, a great practice and a, a deep understanding of it. But something as simple as, I mean, my my first kind of forays into it were when I was in the, the thick of parenting a newborn and a toddler and it was something as simple as sitting still for maybe 30 seconds and focusing on my breath. That was it. Mm-hmm. And that was enough to just you know break that that circuit that uh you know that that stress that kind of quasi panic mode that i was constantly in and over time that expanded into different different areas and different practices but i think when people recognize that that might be enough to begin and like you say it's really encouraging to to see people recognize that and just you know welcome that into their day yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I'll give you an example from, in my case, uh, what time is it now? Uh, 30 minutes ago. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so I knew that you and I were going to talk at the top of the hour today. And uh, in the hour preceding our conversation, my wife, Diane, and I, who's Diane is also my business partner and I always say is the reason uh, reason I'm not living in a refrigerator box is is <laughs> Diane. She she's you know she basically keeps it all together for us. Uh, but we had we have like you know it's a blessing and a curse kind of thing. We have a really busy year uh, already scheduled, and we were kind of going through the calendar 
right before you and I were begin, supposed to talk. And frankly, it was really stressful. And I could feel myself starting getting overworked and overwhelmed. You know, I could feel, I could feel my body changing in that conversation. And it, it's interesting. In some ways, I have an advantage, I guess, with MS because um, when you have MS, you have to manage your stress. And if you don't, your body tells you immediately that you're not doing it. Okay. You know, that when I feel it in my body, I'm just so much more aware of what the signals are in my body when I'm feeling stressed. And so I could feel after 20, 30 minutes of talking about the calendar and how whacked out it is here, uh, I could feel it. And I said, okay, I'm supposed to talk to you um, at the top of the hour and show up as this expert on mindfulness. <laughs> I need to go for a walk. And I, I mean, that was really true. And I went for like, the, I just took a 10 minute walk uh, before we talked. And uh, I, before I left, I put the teapot on and heated up the water so I could have a uh, mug of green tea here when I got back. And the walking uh, is a mindfulness move, right? Because it's it's a parasympathetic activator. It's a rest and digest activator because the rhythmic repetitive movement of walking activates the parasympathetic response, as does the rhythmic repetitive movement of breathing or chanting or uh, running or yoga or whatever else has a rhythmic repetitive aspect to it. Um, you activate the parasympathetic response. And it wasn't a long walk. It wasn't, frankly, it wasn't even 10 minutes. It was more like five, um, but it helps. Mm. Yeah. So that's that's kind of a real-world example. I, I really like that you used yourself as an example there because I think, uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I, feel the, well, I feel exactly the same that I, you know, my husband and I run our own business as well and some days are just they're just busy and there is no amount of mindfulness practice that will stop it being busy. So right. it's, it's um, I, I think sometimes maybe people get the wrong impression that I float through the days with a smile on my face and, you know, this constant blissed out kind of feeling. And it's not so much that, and it's been a journey for me to recognize that, but it's the awareness that you were speaking about of being able to say, I'm starting to feel like this is getting too busy. This is getting, uh, I, I'm getting overwhelmed. And you can tap into that feeling and you've got this this range of tools that help you yeah. move away from I mean, it. And you just used, I think, a really important word, awareness, right? I mean, and so, you know, first definitions, I think, are useful and we can agree or disagree on definitions, but... The definition, again, I'm trying to keep it simple. The definition I'm using for mindfulness is it's two things. It's awareness plus intention, uh, you know, awareness of what's going on around me and then awareness of what's going on inside of me in reaction or response to what's going on around me mentally, physically, emotionally, what's going on inside of me. And then once I'm aware, I can then be intentional about what I'm going to do or not going to do next. You know, so to use the example of the conversation with Diane just now, What's going on around me is we're having this conversation, which is like, oh, my goodness, how are we going to do all this? And we need to quit, you know, accepting appointments or whatever because it's full. And uh, so then, you know, in reaction to that, I start feeling like stressed and kind of overwhelmed. Okay, so I'm aware of that. And then I can be intentional 
I just need to step away from this for a little bit and come back, you know, and it's like literally step away. When, when the book, the overworked number one book came out back in 2014, you know, you do a lot of interviews and stuff when a book comes out. And, uh, this one interview that I did with a woman, um, I, I kind of felt honestly throughout the interview, she was like trying to trip me up, you know, or catch me in my own stuff or whatever. And, and she asked me, she said, well, you know, it's almost like Mr. Mindfulness Expert. Did, did, do you ever get overworked and overwhelmed? <laughs> and I said, and I immediately said, yes, absolutely, all the time. Like, especially during a book launch. I mean, that's like the most overworked and overwhelmed thing you can do. Uh, but I said, the difference for me now is I recognize it and I know what to do about it. And that's, that is, that's the difference. It's just recognizing Oh yeah, I'm feeling that way because overworked, overworked and overwhelmed is not like a real thing. You know, you can't put your arms around it. It's just a feeling. You know, it's just a feeling that you have usually in reaction to other stuff, extrinsic versus et- intrinsic. And if I know what my triggers are, you know, extrinsically, and I understand what my intrinsic reaction or response typically is to those triggers. You know, then I can be intentional about, okay, let me take a step back. Let me take three deep breaths. Let me go for a quick walk and just kind of come back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly how I kind of feel. It's, it's not this magic button that (laughs) erases all stress and busyness. It's more of, uh, you know, being able to, to, to deal with it in a way that, that works. So Mm -hmm. one of the, the most common questions that I'm asked it typically comes from people who have demanding full-time jobs that they juggle with either family or other commitments and they want to know how they can slow down you know with those with those kind of um you know parameters i've had so many other guests come on and and deliver really valuable information about mindfulness and slow living but quite often their response to that question is well work fewer hours or get a job that doesn't have as many uh you know stresses attached to it for a lot of people that's not you know it's not going to happen they either really love their job or they they need that job they need the hours they need the money that they're making so i if it's okay with you i'd love to dig into a bit of your the other side of your work which is helping people in you know high pressure roles to adopt mindfulness into their lives and not only help it help them excel in their work, but also let it bleed through into the rest of their lives and, and help them deliver less, you know, overwhelmed personal life as well. Yeah, sure. So when people come to you and they're, they're overworked, they're overwhelmed and they can't see any way through that or out of that, or, you know, any, any alternative, how do you start to work with people to help them shift that mindset a little yeah, um, I'll, I'll I'll share a, a principle and then a process. Uh, uh, two principles and a process. The first principle is the only person who's going to take care of you is you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and and so um, I wouldn't wait on uh, your employer or whatever to institute a family friendly policy or a, you know a people-friendly policy even. They may, and if they do, that's awesome. But in the meantime, you still have to take care of yourself, and that's kind of up to you. So that's principle number one. Uh, Principle number two, I guess, is as you're doing that, 
Uh, let's not even think about what the 100% solution looks like uh, because you may eventually get there, but you're not going to start there. And so let's look for a 5% solution instead. Let's look for uh, something that would make a 5% positive difference this week. Okay, you know, a little thing that you could do that's relatively easy to do and likely to make a difference. And what might that be? Uh, and I'll say a little bit more about the process for how we help people with that. But um, there is a bas- there was a basketball coach at the University of California, Los Angeles, named John Wooden. He's in the United States anyway, a very famous guy to sports fans. He won 10 national championships at UCLA. And he lived to be, I think, like in his early 90s. And he was a very wise person. He was really thoughtful about leadership and and personal development as well as sports. And so there's all these great John Wooden quotes. He's almost like this little real life Yoda, you know, because he just like has all these amazing things to say. My favorite John Wooden quote is when you improve a little bit each day, eventually big things occur. And I I love that idea, you know, that it's just, uh, and I've seen this in my own yoga practice and actually in my recovery from MS too is progress comes incrementally then suddenly, you know, it's like if you are consistent and just doing the little thing, there will be, there will be days when you don't see any progress or maybe don't feel any progress. Like in my own case, I spent like a year and a half in yoga class learning how to do tripod headstand and I would like wipe out like a race car driver. I mean, I just, you know, I was, I would just have these tremendous crashes out of tripod headstand when I was learning how to do it. And it took about a year probably for me to get comfortable enough to, to do it in the middle of the room, you know, and it, and that happened one day when I was kind of like doing it against the wall to catch myself if I fell but I, it was a day when I, oh my gosh, I didn't put my feet on the wall. How did that happen? You know, it was like overnight success, you know, <laughs> after, after 10 months of practicing, uh, you know, so like, oh, wow, okay, that's really cool. And I think the rest of life is kind of that way too. Like if I got 5% better at whatever your version of tripod headstand is, like breathing when you're under stress or, you know, whatever, uh, Five percent doesn't sound like much until you consider. Well, if I did that five percent every week in a month, I'm going to be twenty percent less overworked and overwhelmed, or twenty percent more mindful, or whatever it is. So that's the other big principle: is baby steps. And I'll pause there before I get into the process. I, I tend to go on rants, so let me <laughs> let me stop my ranting. <laughs> it was a fabulous, fabulous rant. Um, I'm I'm with you one hundred percent. I'm a huge advocate for baby steps. Um, you know, with everything that, that I talk with people about, whether it's simplifying their home or learning how to live more mindfully, I feel like we see where we want to go. We see the the result, you know, and, and we want to be there yesterday. And th- that's where that actually kind of, it makes us more overwhelmed in some ways because we see totally. how far away we are from where we want to be. Whereas if we just focus on the first step, you know, that first moment of deep breathing or that first yoga class or that first um, decluttering of you know, the kitchen drawer or whatever, just a very, very small achievable step. We, we take our progress into our own hands and we then, we can own it and, and, you know, move forward with it from there. But when we look at it, we look at the finish line, like you say, the 100% solution, that feels like it's further away than it ever was. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it can be really demoralizing and it can trigger a lot of judgment, you know, a lot of self judgment and a lot of self criticism, um, which makes things worse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Instead of better, you feel more overworked and overwhelmed because you're such a loser. You know, that's like you're just saying that to yourself and it's just not that helpful, you know. So so the process well, that you take people through, uh, you yeah. know, the process you were talking about. Yeah, so we um, – it's called the Life GPS um, and it's a one-pager that – uh, ask and gives you the opportunity to answer for yourself three questions. How are you when you're really at your best? You know, when you're in a state of flow or in the zone or in your sweet spot, however you think about that, what are the four or five words or short phrases that describe you when you know yourself to be at your best? And, you know, it could be, uh, for me, it's the, it's, it's a mix of calm and energetic uh, it's being fun, actually, uh, and a few other things that are me at my best. Learning is a big one for me. I'm in a state of learning, um, and when I'm at my best, I'm listening, and I know those about myself. And so then the second question is, uh, what are the routines that you either have in your life or need in your life to make it more likely that you're going to show up at your best? And those routines come in four domains, physical, mental, relational, and spiritual uh, and then finally, what are the outcomes that you would hope or expect to see in your life if you were showing up at your best more often than not? And those outcomes are in probably the three main arenas of life, uh, your life at home, your life at work, and your life in your community. And so what we work with people on is capturing, you know, giving them time to reflect and giving them some exercises to help stimulate their thinking and experience, you know, uh, physical routines and mental routines and so forth. Uh, so they walk out with a one-pager, and and our philosophy is less is more. We're not trying to fill the page up, you know, so there's no white space left. We're just trying to help them identify a few things that tell them who they are at their best, a few routines and uh, those domains, physical, mental, relational, and spiritual, and then just a sense of the headlines that you're looking for in terms of the outcomes that you hope to create in your life by showing up at your best. And um, Diane and I created that for ourselves about 20 years ago when we were parents of young kids. And I was looking at your podcast and listening to some of your episodes. One of your recent guests cited The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People as one of her favorite books. And it's one of my favorite books, too. I probably read that book like five or six times back in the 90s after it came out and loved it, but could never quite figure out how to operationalize it. And, and Diane kind of felt the same way. And so we sat around in the afternoons uh, on the weekends sometimes just thinking about like, what is it for us? I mean, like if we wanted to really act on the stuff that Covey talks about in this book. How would we do it? And we ended up with a very early version of this life GPS model with those three questions. And we had a, you know, kind of a diagram on a piece of paper to capture all of that. And um, our joke was it was Covey for dummies, you know, <laughs> it was like, if you can't remember all seven habits, you know, maybe you can remember these three questions and, and kind of focus on acting on those questions. And when we started the coaching and leadership development business 15 years ago, we started sharing the life GPS with our clients and we got, kind of frankly, to our surprise, really positive feedback on it. And we started sharing it more and more. 
and then you know the book that we're talking about today, Overworked and Overwhelmed, uh, most of that book is actually about implementing, you know, creating and following through on your own life GPS. I think, and the beautiful thing about getting people to ask those questions of themselves, it really offers perspective, doesn't it? You know, it kind of crystallizes what's important and the goals that they're, they're working towards both professionally and personally. And once you have those things in mind, at least this has been my experience, once you have those 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 goals in mind or those behaviors in mind, you can start to act in a way that is supportive of reaching those goals and yeah. that, that place. Yeah. You know, it means that you can have difficult conversations or make tough choices because you know what you're working towards and aiming for. Yeah. I mean, that that actually is, you know, back to Stephen Covey. He had so many great lines. One of his great lines was, it's easier to say no when there's a deeper yes burning within, I think exactly. is the quote from him. And, you know, so yeah, you know, like, what are my big yeses? You know, what, you know, in that relational routines part of the life GPS, you know, who really matters in my life, you know, and and what kinds of relational routines do I need to have to show up at my best for them? You know, um, and you know, you talked about the opportunity to reflect on it. That's one of the things that still surprises me, honestly, um, is how grateful people are to be given the opportunity to think through those questions, and how few people have. <laughs> yeah, because we don't we don't take the time, do we? I mean, we're yeah. we're so overwhelmed that we just don't take the time to ask those questions or to delve. And when you do, I've seen it similar, similarly in, in some of the workshops that I've run. And you see this, <laughs> this light of realization or recognition as people ask the questions and actually spend some time thinking on the answers. And oftentimes that is enough to, to help them get unstuck. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it honestly, you know, it doesn't take that much time. You know, it's not like you're writing war and peace or something, you know, it's, 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 it's one page, you mm-hmm. know, it's just three questions and you're just trying to fill in one page. Do they have Google maps in Australia? I've never been to Australia. They do. Okay. Do so you have that? So me too. And it's kind of, to me, it's kind of like, you know, if you enter your destination in Google maps, you have a much more excellent chance of getting there. You know, it's just like, cause the system, the GPS system is going to calibrate back and forth on the coordinates, you know, on, on that location until you eventually get there, uh, even if you take wrong turns. And it's kind of the same idea with having your, a life GPS. You know, if I take a little bit of time to describe, you know, the, destina- you know, the destination in terms of outcomes, the kind of person that it, I need to be to help create those outcomes, the kinds of routines that are going to support me in that journey, you know, once I think through that, I don't have to keep thinking through it every day. It's I've already done that. So now I can just calibrate back, you know, to my answers. And the only question I ever ask myself when I pull mine out, my, like my one pager out is, how am I doing? You know, and it's like, there's always something, there's always actually always more than something. There's always a number of things that I could focus on to adjust, you know, and do a little better, or do a little differently. And I usually just pick one. And it honestly, it doesn't matter which one I pick because it has so much lift and leverage across the whole thing, you know, that it's all good, you mm-hmm. know, and it, and so it's like much less stress, you know, I don't have to get it perfect. I just have to pay attention and 
be intentional about following through in one or two aspects. And that's really valuable, I think, recognizing that it doesn't have to be perfect. Any any amount of movement forward is a step forward, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, now, I guess in a practical sense, um, I know people would want to know about their workplace and how to, you know, so, so they understand that they want to maybe adopt some mindfulness. They want to maybe shift the way they operate in even just a small way or to bring some boundaries into their work life, be that not answering emails after 6 p.m. or, you know, taking the weekends off from work, something like Mm -hmm. that. How do you um, kind of encourage people to, first of all, engage with that idea but then what if they're what if they are the first person in their organization to have this conversation i know a lot of people are fearful of the fact that they will sound like the lazy one they will sound like the person who doesn't have the organization's best interests at heart they they will be the one that people will maybe kind of side eye and think well maybe she's not here for for us so um we won't be here for her or whatever it is. I know people are really nervous to be the first person to, to start to make these shifts. Do you have any advice or any, any suggestions that you walk people through in that, that sort of instance? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I had an example of that come up last week, actually with a group that I was in front of. Um, So I guess piece of advice. Number one is, just do it, you know, just if you know you need to make some changes, go ahead and start maybe with changes that aren't as quite as visible to others, you know, like just give yourself a little momentum um, and a few quick wins, so to speak. Like, you know, for instance, you could, uh, I, I, ta- I call them habit hacks, you know, like just little things, again, that are easy to do and likely to make a difference. Like you could, you know, you can't imagine not being by your phone all night to answer the emails that come in from your coworkers or your boss or whoever at, at all hours of the evening. And that seems like such a stretch, you know, to start with that. And what are they going to think of me if I'm not on email all night long or whatever? But what if, okay, so you can't start out. That's, that might look like the hundred percent solution for you right now is so I'm not doing emails in the evening. Okay can't imagine doing that. That's too much of a statement. Could you imagine uh, putting your phone in the kitchen drawer for an hour and a half after you get home? Um, Yeah, I could probably imagine that. Now, you're probably going to feel like freaky because you're not used (laughs) to not having it on you all the time. But just try it, right? Could you try that? And, you know, the world's not going to end probably in that hour and a half. Um, And just see what happens, you know, see what happens internally for yourself. You know, how do you feel? And most people that try that, oh my gosh, you know, I actually connected with my kids or my spouse in new ways, or I felt so much more relaxed, or I actually made dinner for myself, which I usually just, you know, grab something on the way home or whatever. And, and so, you know, there's all kinds of outcomes from that. And then as you know, you get some momentum from that, then you can become a little more public the other, the other thing that I've seen more than once, and, and the latest, ex- I've seen it way more than once, but the latest example was last week. I was doing a, um, a day-long workshop on mindful leadership for a, a group of really high potential people, you know, moving to the executive level in one of the biggest companies in the world, really. 
and there's 30 of them. And we were talking about at the beginning of the day about, you know, do you feel overworked and overwhelmed? Pretty much everybody raised their hand except for one woman says, I actually don't. And she said, well, that's, that's great. Why don't you? Well, because I don't answer emails at night and I, you know, I, I give myself breaks during the day and so forth and so on. And everybody's looking, else is looking at her like, wow, uh, that we didn't know. We didn't see so that. First of all, they didn't even realize <laughs> you know, nobody was paying attention. You know, she, she was just doing it on her own. And oh, by the way, she's in the same high potential program that the other 29 people are in. I mean, so it's not like it's hurt her reputation at the company, uh, but she's a lot happier and probably a lot more productive because she lives that way. And so I think we kind of get into stories in our mind about, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to be seen as this iconoclast or this rebel or disruptor or whatever if I, if I make some changes in my life. I think 90% likelihood nobody's even going to notice that you did. Um, and in the, in the 10% likelihood that they do, nine times out of 10 on that, they're going to be like, wow, I need to do that too. You yeah, know? They're envious. They're not angry. Well, they're envious yeah. and then they're inspired. It's yes. like, crap, if she can do it, I could probably do it. You know, And it's, yeah, you probably could. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what would it take? You know, what what's an easy way to get started that would make a difference? I love your point that no, no one had noticed. You know, we worry, yeah. we, we, we worry ourselves into kind of sickness because we worry that we, we will be the person who doesn't care or who's lazy or, or whatever it is that we tell ourselves. Almost certainly no one will notice. And there's a real a real dose of ego in there as well, isn't there? Oh, totally. And, you know, that's honestly, that's one of the biggest things I've gotten out of yoga. I've been doing yoga, you know, pretty much every day now for going on six years. And I'm 54 years old. I'm going to be 55 in a couple of, you know, in about a month. And so, and I've never been flexible, you know. And so, you know, I can do my little things that I do. But I live in Santa Monica, California, which is like yoga mecca outside of India. I mean, like there's so many yoga studios here. And the students in Santa Monica are so amazing. They would be like star teachers anywhere else. (laughs) (laughs) And and so the thing is, is like I could go to yoga and it's like, yeah, I can't do everything that the 25-year-old women who are are on the cover of Yoga Journal are doing. But guess what? Nobody's paying attention to me anyway. doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter at all. I'm just – and I'm not really paying attention to them either. We're all just kind of doing our thing. And I think that to me, that's kind of a metaphor for the rest of life. You know, I I had a yoga teacher. We used to live in DC, Washington, DC, and it's like the most type A city ever. And, and I was right there, right there in it, you know, most type A ever. And so the yoga studio I used to go to there, uh, and I'd be forever grateful for them because it's they really got me started, you know, when I was kind of in the depths. Um, but there were a lot of type A people that went to that yoga studio, me being one of them. And there's my favorite teacher there was a woman named Allison. And Allison, you know, she's a great teacher. And she'd be in front of, you know, 40 or 50 type A's at 6 o'clock at night, you know, after the end of the work day. And sometimes she would just like out of nowhere just say, Oh my gosh, you guys look so serious. Come on, it's just a freaking yoga pose. <laughs> and you know, I just I love that. It's just a freaking yoga pose. You know, it's like lighten up. 
You know, it's okay. It's and and I just I carry that with me in life now. It's just a freaking yoga pose. I love that. That's a great motto. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I'm just wondering if I could I could ask you one final question. Um, if you could talk to someone one on one right now who is really struggling with work, they're just completely overwhelmed, overworked, and unsure of what to do are there one or two five percent solutions that you could suggest to them that they can adopt today that will over time you know add up to 10 15 20 percent there are a couple of things that you would suggest uh they they begin with yeah if i was going to boil everything that i write and talk about down in the one word the word would be breathe (laughs) (laughs) um and uh, i talk about this a little bit in that book um I did yoga teacher training a few years ago, and my yoga teacher trainer was a woman named Brigida, who's been teaching yoga for 25 years. She's amazing. And I started to do more and more stuff on mindful leadership, so I should take, well, I should take Brigida to lunch and like pick her brain. I'm like, oh, what, what should I be teaching all these type A corporate people? And so I asked her that and you know, told her what the situation was going to be, and I said, what should I teach them? And she immediately said, breathing. Ambitious people don't know how to breathe. And that's her observation in teaching yoga for 25 years. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, they breathe. <laughs> you can't see me, but like from their from their chest, you know, and, and their shoulders are coming up. And sometimes if they get really stressed, they stop breathing. And instead, if, if you're that person who's listening to this feeling like really stressed, while we're listening, while you're listening to this or just after we're done, put your hand on your belly, seal your lips gently and breathe through your nose on a count of four. Hold it for a count of two and breathe out through your nose on another count of four. And as you do that, watch the hand in your belly. As you breathe in through that count of four, your belly hand should be moving out. Your belly should be filling up essentially with breath. I mean, it's not really literally in your belly, but it has the effect of expanding your belly. And then as you breathe out through your nose, and if you really want to be an overachiever on your breathing count out for uh, a six count instead of a four count and as you get to five and six on that exhale count you're feeling your hand move in towards your spine you know and your belly is contracting and so if your belly expands on the inhale and contracts on the exhale and you can and you can breathe in through your nose and out through your nose uh, for three rounds of inhale, exhale with your hand moving in and out on your belly. You're going to activate your parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system in less than a minute. Mm. And I would start there. That's where I would start. It's so powerful because it's so simple. I mean, anybody can, can do that. Anybody can they have the tools on, the, on yeah. their person, in their person to, to achieve We have that. the technology. Yes, that's, that's right. <laughs> there is no barrier to entry into this particular activity. <laughs> well, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Scott. Well, Brooke, thank you. It's been, been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks. Wonderful. Thank you. has been another episode of the slow home podcast if you enjoyed it be sure to subscribe via itunes and leave us a rating or a review thanks for listening jack rabbit fm for your ears who is that hi podcast